it is lovely to be here with you this morning. Um, last Sunday was my first Sunday back after three months holiday, I mean sabbatical. Um, so it's been lovely coming back. Last week I was leading service, so today I'm preaching. I'm afraid I'm a little bit rusty because the last time I preached was end of July. But we've got a new sermon series that we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. I mentioned this last week. Um, we're part of Baptist Together, Baptist Union of Great Britain, and every year they appoint a president. Uh, so are you able to put the first slide up? And uh, our president for this year is Reverend Ken Benjamin, who's a minister of Chichester Baptist Church, but at the moment he's spending 50% of his time touring the country and sharing his message for the Baptist churches of Great Britain. And his message is, where do we grow from here? Now, I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail about what that means, because what we're going to do over the next couple of months is really start to try and answer that question for ourselves. Where do we grow from here as a church? And there's various questions that come from that. You can find out more about this by visiting uh, www.baptist.org.uk forward slash WDWGFH, which stands for Where Do We Grow uh, From Here. And on there you'll find Ken has done some videos. There's some uh, question sheets you can do on your own. You can do in groups, prepare triplets, and a little bit extra study, study as well if you want to uh, look at that. So the sermons we are doing is based on the work that Ken has been uh, producing. And actually what's been really useful for me is they did this sermon series at Chichester Baptist Church uh, a few months ago. So I've just nicked everything from there. Well, I haven't nicked everything from there, I have to admit. Um, But if you look, the titles would coincide with most of the sermons that you will find on that website. If you haven't got the internet, then I can always print some stuff off for you. The title of our sermon this morning is Moving the Goalposts. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I used to play football a lot. I lived in Appleby Close, and uh, we used loads of boys my own age in the close. We used to go out and we used to play football uh, all the time. Do you want to put the next slide on? And um, we love playing football. Now, what do you do if you haven't got goalposts? You know, men out there, when you were, think back all those years to when you were boys, what did you do when you were playing football? You didn't have goalposts. Jumpers, coats, bags on there, and, and I don't know if any of you were goalkeepers, but what, what people used to do, they used to put the goalpost there, spent ages getting it worked out, yours is over here, ours is here, and then as the game's starting, the goalkeeper goes, like that, and shifts the goalpost a little bit, just to make it a little bit more difficult for the opposition to get the goal in between your post. Actually, there is an example recently of this happening in uh, Sweden, where a top division Sweden goalkeeper called Kim Christensen was caught on camera in a proper game kicking the goalpost to try and move them in just a few inches to try and give themselves that little bit of an advantage. Now, moving the goalpost is a metaphor for when someone changes the goal of a process or a competition partway through. In other words, you're here as a business or you're here as a a player and your goal is there and you're playing the game and you don't realise that someone has moved the goal from there to maybe over here somewhere. And you're putting all your focus trying to get into the goal here and the goal isn't there anymore. That's moving the goalposts. 
Just an example of how the goalposts uh, uh, moved. Uh, I, as a kid, I used to be really into war stuff because I'm a man. And uh, I remember being taken for my birthday, I think, to the Tower of London. And the Tower of London have got an armory and they've got loads of weapons in there. I remember being particularly uh, captured by one particular sword. It was a cavalry sword, so it was used by men on horseback. And it said in the inscription that it was the, the perfect cavalry sword. It was the best cavalry sword ever designed, ever made. It was a beautiful looking sword. And it was called the 1908 Pattern Cavalry Swords. The problem is, not long after this sword was designed and made, warfare changed completely. First World War came along, and suddenly this amazing, beautiful sword was completely obsolete. If any of you have seen the film War Horse, there's a scene when the cavalry charge at the German soldiers, and they don't realize a machine gun hidden in the trees. The goalposts had moved, but the British army had failed to keep up. I think for us as churches, the goalposts have moved. Actually, culture has changed massively, probably over the last hundred years, faster than it has done in hundreds of years. Culture is moving. Culture is changing. And as a church, we are struggling to keep up. And I don't mean just Holy Baptist Church. I mean the church in the UK is struggling to keep up with a society which is changing rapidly around us. We've been playing the game. We've been getting good at it. We've been getting good at doing church and mission. We've failed to realise that the goalposts have moved somewhere else. And when we're focusing, where we're targeting no longer is where the goal is. And really, when we look, explore this question, where do we grow from here? We are going to be asking ourselves, both individually and also corporately as a church, some difficult questions about who we are and why we exist and why we do what we do. Because if we want to grow in the right direction. We need to make sure we know where we are growing to. We're going to be looking at a passage today from 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 9. The words will appear on the screen, and it's verses 19 to 23. And this is the Apostle Paul, Paul, uh, writing to the church in Corinth, and his letter's full of uh, really good stuff. The church in Corinth wasn't... Maybe the healthiest of church. It was a really exciting church to be part of. Loads of stuff was happening. There's lots of factions and arguments and discussions. It wasn't a great place in terms of spiritual health. And Paul writes this letter to try and address some of those, these issues. And in chapter 9, he's talking about freedom. And we're going to pick up these from verse 19. It says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To win the Jews. To those under the law, because I, because I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things 
to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. What I'm going to do, I'm going to just pick up a few things, explain just three things from this passage, and then we're going to apply three things from this passage. For the first application is this. I make myself a slave to everyone. So as I said, Paul is talking about freedom here. And for the people in Corinth, freedom was incredibly important. In fact, they were proud of their freedom. Firstly, they were free because they were Roman citizens. They were an important city in the Roman Empire. They had many privileges from being a Roman citizen. And they were proud of that. You know, all the rest of the people there don't care about them, but we're Roman citizens. We're important. We're part of the biggest, most successful empires in the world. So they were free because they were citizens of of Rome. Also, they were free because they had huge knowledge. They had philosophers. They had people that studied, you know, and wrote books about life. And that raised them above all the heathens because they knew about life. They had knowledge. But also the church in Corinth, because they were followers of Jesus Christ, they had freedom from all the Jewish laws and regulations. See, one of the discussions that was going on in the early church was, did you have to be a Jew first before you become a follower of Jesus Christ? And if you were a Jew first, would you have to follow all the rules and regulations about food and clothes and all the things that came with being a Jew? That was one of the big questions at the time. But actually, what Paul was saying in the taught the church in Corinth says, you don't have to be a Jew first. You don't have to follow all these rules and regulations because you are free in Christ. So the church in Corinth were really proud of their freedom. And in chapter 9, Paul talks about his freedom. And yet he gets to this verse, verse, verse 19 that says, I make myself a slave to everyone. See, this freedom that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, the freedom the church in Corinth had, was not to do whatever we wanted. In some ways, we have exchanged one master for another. When you become a Christian, actually what you're effectively saying is, Lord Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. I'm no longer going to be um, in charge of my own. I'm going to look to you for what I should be doing in my life. And that's a real difficulty, that's a real challenge, because a lot of our culture says to be free is to do whatever you want. But we believe true freedom comes from making Jesus our Lord and Saviour, because we have a Master, we have a Lord, we have a Saviour who wants what's best for our lives. He wants to see you excel. He designed you for a purpose, and he wants you to be the best you could possibly be. And freedom comes, not from doing every, anything we want, but freedom comes so that we are free from sin. We're free from all those things that entangle us, that hold us down, that stop us from running the race that Christ has for us, from getting the prize, from reaching the goal. That's what freedom is. And why do we have that freedom? Actually, it's so we can serve Jesus, so we can use our gifts and our talents, both natural and spiritual, to serve Jesus. 
So the first thing Paul says, I want to make myself a slave to everyone. Despite the freedom, I'm making myself a slave. Second thing, I have become all things to all men. That, by the way, is supposed to be a chameleon. So, uh, you know, a chameleon changes its colour depending on its uh, surroundings. And Paul, in some ways, was a cultural chameleon. He knew amazing things about the culture he lived in. He was a Jew. He was trained as a Jew. In some, time, in some cases, he boasted that he was like the Jew of all Jews. He, you know, he was one of the best before he became a Christian. In fact, he was so good at being a Jew, he persecuted the Christian church, hunted down followers of Jesus Christ, many of whom were killed. And yet Paul was willing to be anything he could in order to win people for Jesus Christ. And he talks about being under the law. He talks about being a Jew. We already talked about the fact that Jews followed all these laws and regulations. Paul was a Jew, but he had freedom in Jesus Christ. He no longer needs to follow all these rules and regulations. And yet he said, if I'm going to reach Jews who maybe are going to be only eating certain foods, I'm not going to come along and say, oh, well, you're not allowed to have pork, but I'm going to have a bacon sandwich. You know, that wasn't going to help when it came to telling people about Jesus Christ. He said, I'll follow the rules. If it's going to make things easier for you, I will follow your rules so I can meet with you and tell you about Jesus Christ. This reminds me of um, doing my sabbatical. By the way, over the next however many sermons, I'm going to be talking about things that I learned on my sabbatical. I did actually learn some stuff, you'd be glad uh, to know. So rather than give one long talk about what I've learned, it's going to be interspersed into the sermons as we go along. Paul said, you know what, I'm going to, uh, for those people who are under the law, so all those non-Jews out there who aren't restricted by food and stuff like that, I'm going to act as if I'm not under the law. And that's a really controversial one, because he's a Jew, and he should be living as a Jew. And yet he says, you know, for all those non-Jews out there, I'm not going to be going into the house and saying, sorry, I can't eat that, sorry, I can't touch that, sorry, I've got to wash my hands, I've got all these sort of things. He said, I'm just going to live as someone not under uh, the law. And that meant he gets to know the culture, he gets to understand them, he, gets, he reads their books, uh, in, in, you find in Acts, he quotes their poetry back to them. He understands, he knows about their culture. He uses examples in his teachings that would make sense to them, like sports. Maybe not mentioned the rugby yesterday. Paul used everything he could and found out as much about these people as he could in order to reach them uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thought, well, how could that apply today? And I thought, ooh, an interesting one. How do we deal with Halloween? I'm not saying either way, by the way. Just think about it. If Paul was trying to be, you know, forget about laws and regulations, I just want to reach these people with Jesus Christ. How do we as Christians deal with Halloween? Because certainly in my upbringing, Halloween, quite rightly, we say as Christians we celebrate the light, Halloween celebrates the darkness, therefore we have nothing to do with it. What would Paul have done? I'm not giving you an answer, I want you to think about that. And then lastly, Paul says, to the weak I became weak. And this is a really interesting one, because Paul had strength. He was an intellectual, he was well educated, he was literate, he was talented. You can read, from reading his books, you can tell he's strong-willed and authoritative. And yet he's saying, I will drop all of that so I can come along those that have nothing that are literate, who don't understand, who don't have all the education I have. 
And I have known in churches I've been part of amazing Christian people who are lovely and want to serve God, but when it comes to helping people, they come from a position of authority. You have nothing, I have everything. You are weak, I am strong, let me help you. I have everything to give, you have nothing to give to me. And they did, you know, I know one particular couple, they did amazing work with a family who were very poor, they were struggling with their, their kids. In everything they did, through love, they were what are known as benefactors. They were up here helping down there. And actually Jesus says to his disciples, you should not be benefactors. You shouldn't be benefactors. You should come alongside. Make yourself weak and realize that, you know, I've got as much to learn from you as you have from me. You may not be as educated as I am. You may not have as much money as I do. But you know what? I'm going to bring myself down to my level and recognize that we're both weak. And we can both be strong. And we're going to do it together. And lastly, Paul does this for the sake of the gospel. Why is Paul doing all this? Is it just a hobby? Is it a bit of fun? Is it you know, interesting to learn about other cultures and being a cultural comedian? He says, no, see, I did this for the sake of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ for Paul was paramount. It was key. It was the main focus. It was the main thing. He may have been willing to change his methods. He may have been willing to change the way he talks. I've discovered, and this is a bit wrong, that if I talk to someone literate, I start to talk a little bit posher. And if I'm talking to someone who's maybe a plumber, I suddenly talk like, talk like that. I don't know why it is. I, I, just, I just do it. I don't think about it. I just start talking that way. Possibly because I had a, one granddad that was a director in Fison's with a secretary and I had another granddad that was a caretaker in a local school. I kind of got those two different things. I can change my method. I can change the way I talk. I can change the way I dress. I can change the way I act. I can change the stuff I watch on TV and the food I eat. But when it comes to Jesus, that doesn't change. Paul never let go of his values. He never let go of his focus of his mission. He never let go of Jesus. That was unchangeable. That was non-negotiable. It was all about Jesus. So what? How do we apply this? This passage written 2,000 years ago to some church in a place called Corinth. Has anyone been to Corinth? Twice? Who said twi- twice? Cool. Penny, you've been as well. Uh, it's probably not like here. So how do we take this and apply it to, to me and to us and to this church? And the first thing is this. This isn't all about me. Repeat after me. This isn't all about me. There we go. This isn't all about me. See, Christian faith can be very individualistic. Jesus died for my sins. I can make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. I become a Christian. And then once we become a Christian, then we're doing our best to become a better Christian. And we read books about becoming a better Christian. We try and become better prayers. We become trying to become lovelier people. We go to conferences to improve ourselves, to improve our knowledge and our feelings and our faith. It becomes almost like a spirit, you know, Christian equivalent of self-help section in Waterstones, and becomes from self-help it becomes self-focus, and it becomes it's all about me. 
And yet Paul says, you know what, I'm making myself a slave. Not to me, but to you. The person that I'm trying to teach about Jesus Christ, the person I'm trying to grow, the person I'm trying to disciple, I'm going to become a slave to you. And when you're a slave, everything you do becomes about that person. You know, slaves don't really get to do, they might have a little bit of time for themselves, but most of their life is dedicated to the person they are serving. And Paul was saying, I'm dedicating all I am to the person, the people I am serving. They become your focus. See, when I was dating my wife, Jen, uh, many moons ago, we married 10 years now, my focus became her. Initially, um, she lived in London, I, we met, I lived in Ipswich, we met, uh, went away, she said, do you want to go out? I went, nope, nope. Live too far away. I've got my life here. What had to change? Actually, I had to suddenly become, you know what, my focus is Jen. I'm prepared to travel every other weekend to London in order to maintain this relationship. When I met her parents, you know, I, I, her dad really into photography. I was really into photography as well. Can I see your photographs? I even got interested in Jen's mum's button hook collection. That's how important this relationship with... I hope they don't listen to this online in Australia at the moment. Hopefully it's fine. You know, Jen was my focus. I wanted to win Jen. I also wanted to win her parents because that was important to Jen. Actually, the most important pers- person that I, I won, according to Jen, was her dog. But um, Pepper, well, I managed that. That was, that was suddenly I became interested in dogs as well. And you know, I've got three dogs, so that, that stuck uh, with me. This isn't all about me. Actually, it's about the people out there we're trying to reach with Jesus Christ. Second thing everything is disposable except Christ. Repeat after me everything is disposable except Christ. Now, this is a difficult one because the question I want to ask over these few, next few weeks is what would our church look like if it was about around the needs of the lost? How will we do things if, our, if we changed everything we did? If we started from scratch and went, you know what, our focus is going to be court lodge. Would our church look different if we started with that starting point to how we are now? Is our church fit for purpose? When I was a design technology teacher, we did a lot of design work. I liked one particular uh, design movement from Germany in the 1920s and 30s called Bauhaus. And they had a a slogan that said, um, form before function. No, function (sighs) for... What is it? What is it? I should have written it down. Thank you, the German in the room. Thank you. Form follows function. In other words, you ch- if you're designing a chair, you start off with a function first and the way your chair looks like is dependent on what you want it to do. Rather than some big ornate thing that looks very good but really uncomfortable to sit on. Form follows function. Does our church form follow its function? I'm going to show you a picture of a uh, particular bridge called the new... Called, uh, Yeah, that bridge in Honduras. This was taken in 1998. This was built by Japanese engineers. It was a great bridge, I'll see a quote in a moment. But what happened was a storm came along and it changed the course of the river. And you can see that there. You've got a slight problem with that bridge 
The river is no longer under the bridge. If we go to the next page, here's a quote from US Today, 1998. The, the cult itself is perfect. The bridge is perfect. The Japanese engineers said, except that it now straddles dry land. Hurricane Mitch changed the course of the, the river and there's no water where the access roads used to be. That's what happens when the goalposts move. See, our church, the way we do things, we've become very good at doing what we do. And we can take pride in that. We've spent time, we've invested time and money and efforts into shaping our churches. And it's really annoying when the river changes and we end up with a perfect bridge which is of no use whatsoever. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that bridge. Nothing. That bridge is absolutely perfect, because the Japanese engineers say it is. It's not the bridge's fault or the bridge's designer's fault. Something came along, Hurricane Mitch, they weren't weren't expecting it, and the river has moved. And this can be really difficult and hard for us as Christians, as churchgoers, because we invest so much time and effort and money into shaping our churches. And it's not our fault The culture has shifted. But what are we going to stick with? A perfect bridge in the wrong place or an imperfect bridge that we're struggling and learning with that's in the right place? It's a really important question to ask. Because otherwise you just end up with something that's useless. Going back to that cavalry sword. Perfect, amazing, but of no use whatsoever in warfare. It's now used for ceremonies. And sometimes I look at royal weddings and think, is that all that the church is good for? Ceremony and looking good on TV at special occasions like Christmas and weddings. See, everything is disposable except Christ. If our focus on our mission is about telling people the good news about Jesus, then anything that doesn't do that or even hinders that is disposable. Everything is disposable except Christ. Our worship style is disposable. Our buildings are disposable. The way we do our meetings and our Bible studies is disposable. The way we govern our churches is disposable. Everything is disposable if it doesn't meet the requirement to reach out and tell people about Jesus Christ. One book I was reading is a great book called Scattered Servants by Alan Scott's it's about a church, a Causeway Coastal Vineyard in Ireland, and had an amazing like, mini-revival, absolutely amazing book. It, it literally made me cry reading this book, which was embarrassing because I, I was on a plane at the time. But it's an amazing book, Scattered Servants, Alan Scott. And one of the things, he saw his church, it was growing, it was doing really, really well, and then he realised that in all, all the time they'd been there, they hadn't had any baptisms. They were doing really well as a church. It was perfectly designed. Worship was amazing. Preaching was great. People were coming. But they weren't seeing people come to know Jesus Christ. So early on, they made that decision. You know, in the next year, coming year, we're going to look at everything we do as a church and anything which doesn't produce fruit, we're going to stop. Everything that doesn't produce fruits, we're going to stop. Because everything is disposable. And they looked at their children's work and thought, oh, we're not really bearing fruit in our children's work. We can't can't stop our children's work. And actually they ended up producing, um, doing a a Sunday school in one of the local schools. And they started seeing 
kids get to know about Jesus Christ? Like, phew, okay, we're okay there. Do we need, I, I think, I'm not saying we're going to do that, but it's a good idea to really stop and think, okay, what are we doing and is it producing fruits? If it isn't, do we need to change something or do we need to stop it? Everything is disposable. Not Jesus Christ. We keep our message. We keep our strong values. But we hold on lightly to everything else. Last point. Oh, this is what one, one particular preacher I heard said. It says, the tide of our culture has carved new paths. The tide of our culture has, tied, has carved new paths. Do we know that? Have we seen that? And have we changed the location of the bridge? Last thing, as we draw to an end. I will use all possible means to reach the lost. I will use all possible means. Oh, can repeat. This is a new thing I'm just trying. After me, I will use all possible means to reach the lost. Paul was willing to change his methods and the way he did things in order to reach the lost. Are we willing to use everything we have got in order to win others for Christ? See, over the last three months, I've been had the real privilege to go around churches and talk to ministers, and my focus has been looking at churches that are doing different things to reach the lost. It's not about getting rid of Sunday service. No church I went to had got rid of this. But they recognise that things had to be done differently in order to reach the lost. Because people aren't going to come to our church most of the time. One particular person I was talking to saying, traditional evangelism will reach 10% of your town. 10%. That's 90% of a town will not be met by traditional evangelism. Will not come into our church buildings. Therefore, we have to do things differently. Now, one thing I did, which I really didn't want to do, uh, this is Chris, Chris over there, this is your fault, Chris, because you put me into contact with a guy called Jeremy uh, earlier on in the year, and he runs something called Mojo. And she says, you really, we, Jeremy wants to come do some teaching in the church. I went, well, 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 let me, let me talk to Jeremy first. I had a conversation with Jeremy, and uh, basically what he does is street evangelism. Uh, and I said, I, I hate street evangelism. You know, I grew, up, I grew up, I remember there was one guy on a call hill in Ipswich. He used to just shout the gospel out there. And I just found it really embarrassing. And I didn't like it. And here's this guy saying, this is what we're going to do. And I heard myself saying, well, before you tell the church, maybe I need to go out and do it with you. I put him off for quite a while, actually. This is about January, wasn't it? So, and I went out with him in September? So I put it off quite a long time. We went down to Hastings, I caught the train, got in the, I'd never met him before, and we just a group of us gathered in the centre of Hastings. It was weird. It was really weird. What he said to me, he says, we, you know, we don't go and approach people as preach the gospel. We just, we just stand here and we allow the Holy Spirit to you know, guide people to us. I thought, I could, I could deal with that. I'm okay with that. I can just stand here. Turns out he was lying. That is not what they do. They may not approach people, but they try and draw as much attention to themselves as they possibly can. So one of the rules is, if one of us starts singing, singing, if one of us starts singing, we're not going to leave them singing, we're all going to join in. Whatever the song is, I'm like, okay. Then they get the guitar out, then they wheel out the amp, and they plug it in. I'm like, oh my goodness me. 
At one stage I walked off to look in the bike shop and I came back again. again and they were singing worship songs while one guy was doing interpretive dance outside of Costa. I'm like, what is going on here? You know what? I had an amazing morning. Amazing, actually went into the afternoon. I, had a really, I prayed for one homeless, well he actually wasn't homeless, but he was an alcoholic. And I just prayed for healing for him and I talked to him. Another guy, we, did, we just did a little sign that says, you know, if you want healing, just come here. And we went in the corner and this guy came over called John. who he, was, he wanted healing for his leg and we prayed for his leg, but actually he was really struggling with guilt from the past. I was able to pray for him and also share the good news about Jesus Christ with him. I don't get to do that because my focus is you lot and church. And actually many of us, our focus is church. I did something that I found uncomfortable. I didn't even particularly agree with. And yet it was an amazing experience. I guess I'm probably going to have to do it again, which is a shame. But, you know, it was lovely. It was an amazing and it really challenged me about my Assumptions, presumptions about mission. God can use the things that we do. The problem is they can maybe not line up with the way we do things. Maybe we don't even agree with them. Maybe we don't see the point of them. But are we willing to use all possible means to reach the lost? You know the thing that was stopping me? The thing that stops most of us? Pride. Oh, what are you... Just going to pick all the things you think are wrong with me. <laughs> fear. Fear. How many of you would like to stand in the middle of Hastings singing a song? Put your hand up. Because you're off. Right, okay. See, most of us don't want to do that. Now, there may be numerous re- different reasons. For me, it was fear. It was fear. I was petrified on the train down to Hastings. Absolutely terrified. Because stepping out of our zone, comfort zone is scary. I want to end with this. Keep the main thing, the main, main thing. Everything is disposable. This isn't about me. This is about the lost out there. Everything is disposable except Christ. And I'll use all possible means to reach the lost. And I'm going to finish with these words from Philippians uh, chapter 2, which if, if I can find it in my Bible. It's been a while. No, it hasn't been a while since I've read the Bible. Been a while as I've had the pressure of having you lot looking at me while I look at it. I'm just going to read Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. It's not going to appear on the screen because I didn't tell them to put it on there. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Light stepped into darkness. God moved into the neighborhood. Jesus gave up everything and became nothing so that we might be saved. You me, us, should have the same attitudes. Let's just be quiet for a moment. I want to look through those three things. And maybe just chat to God and just go, you know what are those three things? Is there anything that I need to take on board? 
well, actually, it doesn't have to be those three things. Is there anything that you're talking to me about? Just take some time out to chat with God. I'm going to put a challenge out there because these sermons over the next couple of months are going to be challenging because they need to be challenging. I'm just going to ask, if you want to be challenged, if you're saying, you know what, I want to change, doesn't mean I like it, no one likes change. I want to change. And I want to focus, just focus from me onto the people out there, the people that need to know Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you in a moment to stand, or if you can't stand, just to raise a hand. If you can't raise a hand, figure that one out. Make some sort of movement or chat to the person near you. And say, you know what? I accept the challenge. I accept the challenge. And I just want to pray for you. So if you'd like to stand or raise a hand. Lord God, you can't move parked cars. Lord God, you can't shift and change us and move us and journey with us if we had just got the brakes on. Okay. No, I ain't moving. And I thank you for these people who have stood or raised their hand or made some sort of indication that they accept your challenge. And Lord God, I just pray that over these coming months you will take us as individuals and you will shape us and change us. You will speak to us. You will challenge us, not just through these sermons, but through our conversations with other followers of Jesus Christ, but also with those who don't know you. You will use all possible means to reach us and change us and speak to us. Because, Lord God, we want to change. Not for ourselves, but for those that we want to reach with the message of Jesus Christ. So, Lord God, I just pray that you will help us to accept that challenge as individuals. But Lord God, I pray that we do that as a church. Lord God, our mission is to reach out with a message of hope and love. And we want to do that together. We want to support one another. We want to celebrate what is going on. I just pray that you will guide us on that journey. Lord, there's so many different turns, so many different things we can do, so many good things we can do. But we want what you want for this church. So guide us, we pray. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Because we thank you, although you're giving us this mission, you've given us everything we need to do. Because it's an impossible mission, but it's made possible through the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, you are within us. You are changing us and shaping us. You are empowering us. I just pray, come, Holy Spirit, come. 
so we can be the person and we can be the church that is necessary to reach those that need to know you. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of Jesus Christ, our focus, our key, the main thing. Amen.